What's up, everybody? This is Stacking the Box College Football Edition. I am your host, Reed Wallach, joined today by my esteemed colleague, Cody Williams. Cody, what's going on, man? How's it going? Doing good, man. You know, enjoying a little bit of fall weather. And, you know, it really feels like football season now. Yeah, it's getting to the nitty gritty of the football season. Week eight, somehow, some way, already upon us. Few big games to get into, which we're going to in our week eight betting preview. But we, of course, have to recap what happened last week. Washington defeats Oregon in a thriller. Uh, maybe game of the year so far this year. We could discuss that. Yeah. Uh, injury news dropped Monday afternoon that Brock Bauer is going to miss uh, a differing timelines. I'm saying, but definitely going to miss extended period of time with a yeah. high ankle sprain. Um, Alabama. Close call there. So a lot to dive into. Before we kind of recap the week that was, let me tell you about DraftKings and this crazy promotion they're running. If you sign up with DraftKings using the code STB, which stands for this fine program, Stack in the Box, you will get $200 in bonus bets and a no-sweat same-game parlay every single day until the end of football season. So again, that is bet $5 when you sign up with the code STB. You get $200 instantly in bonus bets and then a no-sweat Single game parlay every day. Crazy. So this helps out the fine, this fine program, Stack in the Box. If you subscribe with the code STB and you can check out the episode description, whether you're watching live on YouTube or the podcast, just check the episode description for more on that. So let's get ready to roll here. Let's Let's talk some week seven fallout. Washington holds on to beat Oregon 36-33. Oregon loses uh, the fourth down battle, I'd say. They go for it at yeah. the end of the first half. They go for it, I want to say, in the middle of the third quarter and don't get it. And then they go for it game on line, similar to last year's game between these two. They go for it again on fourth down, a similar play call uh, yeah. on third down, I should say. They don't get it. Washington ends up scoring a few plays later, and they end up taking on the game. Oregon misses a game-winning field goal, pushes it right. Um, so Washington now, this was always going to happen. The winner right. of this game was going to have the Heisman favorite, the team that looked like they were going to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter who won. This right. was going to be the the narrative that comes out of it. So, Cody, my question to you, I'll start because I think there's a few ways we could unpack this. But my question first will be: Do you believe that Washington is a co- is a true college football playoff contender? Absolutely. I think like I think you put it perfectly. Like whoever won this game was going to be like the leading, you know, contender out of the Pac-12 to make the playoff. But I think they're both playoff worthy teams in terms of like their quality. Like I think if you see these two teams play like play on a neutral site 10 times, their records are probably five and five. Like I think they're very evenly matched, but I think they're very upper echelon teams as well. I think the thing that really stood out for me for Washington was, you know, the defense was leaky at times. They let Bo Nix and Oregon's offense like cook a little bit at times. But when they needed a play, when they needed big stops, when they needed the right play call or their playmakers like Braylon Trice and guys like that to step up, they did. And I wasn't sure that Washington's defense was actually capable of that. You know, we had seen some, you know, a little bit of crack in the, or a few cracks in the armor in a few in previous weeks. So being able to see them step up in the big moments and make those plays. And we know what the offense is. I mean, we know that offense is going to be able to score on anyone and like. You know, people have been talking all all year about Ohio State with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. Roma Dunze is not far behind Marvin Harrison Jr. And this trio of wide receivers that Washington has is the best trio by far, bar, bar none in the country. Yeah. Um, 
I think Washington's a college football playoff contender. Still don't know if they're going to get there. I yeah. personally, I think Oregon played the better game. I think Oregon's. Yeah. I said before. I said before the week. You know, we were talking on this show. I thought Oregon was the better team, and similar to like that Texas Oklahoma game. I'm not going to try and get bogged. At, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But I still believe that I think Oregon's the better team with more counters. Again, they go for it on fourth and goal from the one. At the end of the half, maybe if they take the points there. I don't hate the call by Dan Landon going for it. I definitely don't hate the call going for it, where if you get the first down no. in the game, you win the game, knowing that Washington was going to score anyway. Meanwhile, Oregon got the ball back and had a very makeable field goal with a good kicker. He just happened to miss it. So I think when you play the percentages out, you the decision-making wasn't terrible or reckless no. or anything. You just, you know, that's how it works sometimes. You just don't you don't convert on fourth and short, and you lose games. So, um Full credit to Washington, though. I still wonder, though, because I think Oregon was able to run on them. I thought Bo Nix played a fantastic game. I just think Washington's schedule down the stretch of the season is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I just think a team with a middling rushing game and a leaky defense, is is the passing game always going to be on? Every single time there's 12 regular season games for 12 straight games. Then that doesn't even include the Pac-12 title game and, you know, potentially two playoff games. I just, I'm not rushing. Like I'm like, Oh, Washington blew me away. The schedule closed the season. They get two gimmies. They get Arizona state at home this week. And they are about mm-hmm. a 24 and a half, 26 and a half point favorite. And at Stanford the following week after that, it goes at USC home, Utah, which who knows what Utah's going to look like by then. We don't right. <laughs> at Oregon state. And then a home for Washington in what is, for now, all intents and purposes, the last Apple Cup ever. So that's four tough games in a row to close the season. I still feel like Washington's going to trip up one of those times. I just think that the mar- the margins are not very high for this team. Right. I actually – I don't disagree with you. I actually think the most likely likely outcome is that the Pac-12 just doesn't get a team in the playoff. And because, like, I think there's a chance that Oregon slips up because you talked about Washington having a middling run game. They are Their lead back ran for 100 yards against Oregon's run defense, which we knew was kind of an issue. We saw that in the Texas Tech game earlier in the season. And Washington had a semblance of a run game for basically the first time all season against Oregon. And, like, you look at, you know, a team like Oregon State, which you know that's going to be a heated rivalry game anyway. You know, we can't call it the Civil War anymore, but we know what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, But, like, Oregon State should have a lot of success controlling the ground game in that game. So, like, that's a potential game where Oregon gets slip up. I think it's the same problem we run into with the Pac-12 and when it's, like, this high caliber in terms of the top of the conference as it is this year. It's the same problem they always run into. They cannibalize themselves. Ooh. So, I think the most likely outcome is the Pac-12 just doesn't get a team in the playoff. I agree. I, I, I think – had Oregon won that game, I'd feel a little differently about that. But I think I just I don't know if I could trust Washington to get over the hump. They're a damn good team. I'll give them that. So it sounds like oh, yeah. a baggy on them. But I I think I still leave that game thinking, damn, Oregon really could have had something special on their hands here with a win there. But obviously goes to the side goes to the side. Keep an eye though on Michael Penick's uh, ribs. Took a few big yeah. shots in that game. So definitely something to keep an eye on uh, as they play Arizona State this weekend. Luckily, we'll uh, get about two quarters to rest this week. So, yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> uh, speaking of injuries, though, uh, Brock Bowers got hurt in the, I want to say it was the first half against Vanderbilt last week. Yeah. Kirby Smart talked it down out of the halftime break. Uh, turns out it's looking like a high ankle sprain, and Brock Bowers going to undergo, I believe to be, is the tightrope surgery that Tua yep. Tagovailoa went under when he was at Alabama. I saw Brett McMurphy, the Action Network, said rest of the season 
I saw Pete Tham of ESPN say four to six weeks. You want to try and find a middle ground there? Maybe, maybe it's something like SEC championship game. He's back. Yeah. I imagine Georgia will make it there. Maybe it's playoff. He's back. I'm assuming Georgia will make it there. Uh, but Cody, what are your thoughts on this Brock Bauer injury? Because there was a lot of buzz building in the, uh, I wouldn't say like the actual, like the big media of college football, but like people on like college football Twitter were starting to make a case that Brock Bauer should actually be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. I never subscribed to that. I think he's a really good player, but I don't think he'd ever win. But that obviously goes to the wayside. But this is a very, arguably the most player, most important player on Georgia now out for. I think we could confidently say the rest of the regular season. I won't go further than that. Yeah, I mean, like maybe there's a chance he comes back for clean, old, clean, good, old fashioned hate against Georgia Tech, just like as a tune up and like plays like a limited number yeah. of snaps. But like, yeah, ostensibly he's out for the rest of the regular season, and obviously it's gonna like you're losing what I would consider one of the top two players in college football from your roster, it's not a good thing. But uh, I told you pre-show that I have a little bit of a hot take about this, and uh, we're going to unleash that a little bit right now. But I actually think it might be, and this sounds crazy to say, but a good thing for Georgia, Mike Bobo, and Carson Beck in this offense. One thing we've seen from Georgia's offense this season is that Carson Beck is way more talented of a passer, and this offense looks its best when they're letting Carson Beck throw it around. But one of the like unfortunate tendencies I would say that I've seen from Beck and perhaps Bobo's play calling is there seems to be a there seemed to be an over reliance at times on Brock Bowers. Like it was just sometimes it was like F at 19s down there somewhere. And like that was just kind of their offense. Like they knew he was the safety valve. But this team is loaded at the skill positions. Like they brought in Rara Thomas, they brought in Dominic Lovett, they have, you know, uh Rosemi Jack Saint and uh who's a big time deep threat. Lad McConkey just came back. Like this team has a lot of weapons that have been flashing, but Brock Bowers has kind of overshadowed them. I think this may allow Georgia to kind of find an identity offensively that they haven't necessarily had outside of, well, we know Brock Bowers is really good because like the run game hasn't necessarily been there. These receivers haven't been consistent, but I think this may force their hand into being consistent and putting this on Carson Beck's shoulders. And you and I have talked about, we both believe in Beck's talent and like Mm -hmm. maybe he should have more put on his plate. And I think that's what we're going to see. And I think it actually may benefit Georgia. I I think, I think it's a fair point. And like you, like you kind of finished with there that we have been kind of the, the optimistic Georgia side of the argument here. I will say, though, like my first thought, like when I'm unpacking this stuff is I agree with you that maybe this lets Georgia find themselves in the rest of the regular season. But overarching, though, it just feels like this is a year from hell. And it just it it encapsulates how difficult it is to win three straight national championships. Like it feels like this is the year where, you know, you're transitioning quarterbacks, you're transitioning so many key guys on the offensive line, defensive line, all the NFL level talents in and out of the program. Now your number one receiver and arguably your most important player is going down. It just feels like this is a year where Georgia, as I mean, dogs are barking here, but uh, <laughs> it, it feels like this is a year where Georgia just can't stay out of its own way, and just like the the power, the college football gods are stopping Georgia more so than Georgia stopping themselves. So that was kind of my takeaway. I know. I mean, you. I didn't even think that was that big of a hot take you gave, though. But you, you told me when we were doing the pre-show meeting, you had a heater about Alabama. So maybe this is the this is the Cody Williams hot take hour. So Alabama escapes against Arkansas, twenty four twenty one. I want to say off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Alabama escapes. 
I watched the game. I never thought the result was in doubt. It just looked a little bit like Alabama was playing with their food against a, what I think is a pretty piss poor Arkansas team this year and have two and five on the year. Yeah. Uh, but Cody, what do you think Alabama? They got Tennessee coming to town. We're going to talk about that game in a little bit. But uh, what do you think after Alabama? A, a strong two quarters, a pretty shaky last two quarters. I mean, I so going into that game, there started to like, you know, you look around some of the major outlets, and there seemed to be like a little bit of a growing buzz that like Alabama was still was still alive in the playoff race. And I understand that it was a little bit of playing with your feet, like you said, but I just don't see the case for this team being playoff caliber. Like that, like you said, Arkansas is a piss poor team. Arkansas is not like they have they've been pretty hapless for most of the season, particularly in in SEC play. Like they're winless in SEC play and. They almost mounted that comeback against Alabama, which was somewhat self-inflicted. But I look at what I saw from Jalen Milrow. I look at what I saw from that offensive line, and it's the same issues we've been seeing all year. Like, Jalen Milrow has progressed, and I think he's becoming more comfortable in himself as, like, a creator of explosive plays with downfield passes. But in terms of, like, the consistent offense and success rate, he just is not functioning the way you want an Alabama quarterback to in that offense. And so, like, I just think that, even though they're a one-loss team, even though they have the inside track to win the SEC West and get the SEC championship game, I don't think this team is at anywhere like – I think they're a fringe top 15 team at best. And I just think that there are too many problems in where Alabama traditionally under Nick Saban has not necessarily had to worry about. Like the offensive line, even when they have a down year, they're not like aggressively mediocre like this offensive line is. The defense – extremely talented this year, but it is not that elite level defense that we've seen from Alabama. Like we've seen from Texas and other, other opponents, like even Arkansas in the second half that they can be taken like advantage of in that situation. Mm -hmm. So I just don't see that this Alabama team does if for anything other than the name on their Jersey and the a on the side of their helmet, I don't think they deserve the respect that they're getting. Yeah, I agree. I also just, I don't think the path is there for Bama to get in. I think it would come down to they have to upset Georgia, and I just don't think they're dynamic enough to upset Georgia in the SEC championship game. So I just – I I don't think Bama is going to end up making it. I think they're pretty good. I think that yeah. – they're, they're, I think Jalen Milrow is fine. I, I said from the beginning I think they should start Jalen Milrow, and he gave him the best chance. I kind of bagged on him going to the Texas A&M game, but I will say this. Jalen Milrow's deep passing, it, it's – a lot of YOLO balls, but it's been working <laughs> yeah. out for him. It's been, right. he's, been completing, he's completing 61% of his passes over 20, 20 yards. I mean, he's oh, yeah. taking the top off of defenses. Down to down, Alabama still is a national average, which like for Alabama standards is terrible, embarrassing for a Nick Saban-led ball club. So down to down is pretty poor. But I think given the state of the SEC this year with some of these offenses, and we're going to talk about this game against Tennessee in a little bit, but even like you know, you throw in Texas A&M, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, if we want to go back to that one. A lot of these offenses just aren't dynamic where no. all you need is to lean on to get the SEC championship game at this point is you need to lean on your stout defense, which has been up to par, in my opinion. Sands a few deep shots from Texas, which I don't think is like that bad or anything. And then play the field position game, withstand some Jalen Noro sacks, and then hit some deep shots and win the field position battle. Get enough scores and you – Go home and win a physical ball game, like 2009 style. So I think Alabama has found a recipe on how to win games. I don't know if it'll work when it's like it's Georgia, it's college football playoff time. I don't know, or even LSU maybe. Like I don't know if it'll work then. But I will. I I think Alabama. I'm on a different page than you here because I think Alabama's 
actually trending up. I just think that we end at the same conclusion where the ceiling is pretty defined here. Of It's a pretty good team, not a great team. No, and I, I'm not even saying I agree with the idea of them trending up. Like, I think Jalen Milrose progression and finding kind of like his niche as a passer is, uh, I mean, an obvious sign they're uh, trending up because I think early in the season that both him and Tommy Reese were trying to figure that out, trying to figure yeah. out what this offense was. I just think that the, like you said, the end result is w- this trend up is an, Im- is trending up to an imperfect product. Like it's yeah. not, and like, to be clear, when I'm dogging on Alabama, it's Alabama. We're grading on a curve here. <laughs> like, it's the biggest grade, curve grading system that we could possibly have. It's Alabama. Like, bad for Alabama is a top 15 team in the country, not a top three team in the country. Yeah, no, totally. I, I We'll see. We're going to talk about this Alabama-Tennessee game in just a few minutes. But before we start previewing week eight, once again, New users at DraftKings use the code STB. It is in the bottom right. They're watching on YouTube. STB stands for stacking the boxes. Fine program. If you do that and you sign up and you bet $5 on any sporting event, maybe it's one of these games that we're about to break down and give you some good advice on, you get $200 in bonus bets. And each day, a no-sweat single-game parlay every day for the rest of the football season. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21-plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Again, promo code STB, bet $5, get 200, no sweat single game parlays. I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer. And if you sign up, you help this fine podcast. So why not do that? So again, promo code STB over at DraftKings. Okay. Recapping last week, I got screwed. It was my turn to get screwed last week. Mm -hmm. Two and four for me. Cody, you went three and three. So we're hanging around here. I, I got to complain, though, because Oregon, team total over 33 and a half. Who knew I needed the key number of 32 or 33 <laughs> to get over the team total? Oregon loses 36-33 on a game-winning, a game-tied field goal attempt, and that cost me a 500 week. So year-to-date, still 23-28 and one. I got to turn around. Cody still trailing behind me, 20-31 and one. But, hey, second half of the season, I think we're both going to turn around. We got – two four six picks this week a lot of buys this week but not yeah. i went this isn't like a banger week of college football uh relatives of some of the other ones we've had but um still a handful of key games uh we're gonna get into ohio state penn state we're gonna talk some alabama tennessee we're of course gonna have our sickos pick which fe- features uh two power five conference games and of course some upset picks which i got screwed on one pick cody but i also hit pit outright on the mm-hmm. show so what was that? Like? You also hit Stanford too. You were, you were on the upset train. Those were your two wins last week with Stanford and uh, Pitt. So, you know, hats oh. off to you there. Let's go. All right. Let's start with our favorite total bet this week. Cody, where are you taking us? I mean, you've got to go to Old Faithful, which is Service Academy Unders. Air Force and Navy under 36 and a half. Uh, Tom Fernelli at CBS Sports. I, I oh, have the I have the I have the historical oh, I, numbers. Or you go. I also have the historical okay. numbers. Uh, I want to shout out Tom Fernelli of CBS Sports because he's the first he's the first person I remember actually really getting on this train. But since 2005, in games where service academies face one another, the under is 42 10 and one. And the last loss in that was Army Navy last year, which would have gone under except they went to overtime, scored 17 points in overtime, which is what killed the under. So. Very profitable trend. Over 80% of the time, this bet has hit. And 
I will admit that at full strength, Air Force's offense would have me actually a little bit worried about this under. They're seventh in the country in offensive EPA, undefeated Air Force Falcons, but they're without QB Zach Larriere for this game and potentially for a while. So that makes me feel a little bit better about it. But more importantly, Air Force's defense is 11th by EPA per play overall, and Navy is 112th in offensive EPA. Navy is just a really bad football team. But more importantly, the reason these service academy unders have been so profitable is because these service academies all run the triple option, which means the clock is never stopping. It's just constantly running. Even like you know, even if Navy has a three and out, that clock's running probably three minutes off the clock, nonetheless. So 36 and a half. I just need less than five touchdowns. I'm pretty confident that with a backup quarterback for Air Force and everything that Navy has to offer against Air Force's defense, I'm, I think a, this is an easy play. Might be a backup for Navy also. Uh, Levitai got yeah. hurt last week too, and I Braxton Woodson, I believe was his name, he came in and got a – he finished the win out against Charlotte. Um, I bet this as well. Um, I, I agree. I think, you know, I pretty much bet it every year, so <laughs> I don't see why I stop. It's, it might not hit this time, but does it mean – I listen, it keeps getting bet down. I'm not going to say blindly bet it, but you know, over time it tends to hit. So if it loses this time, it tends to work itself out. Um, so I, I don't disagree whatsoever. I think also what really to me is even more important than the clock always running limited possessions. Most of the difficulty in guarding in defending the triple option is it's unique. It's nothing yeah. you've ever seen before. You don't practice it very often. You The only time you practice it when you're playing one of these teams, and typically you're only playing one of these teams a year, only three teams really right. run it. These teams pl- run the same scheme. They run the same <laughs> offense. They know how to defend it. They know the nooks and crannies to the triple option. So that's why these drives stall a lot inside close. They know how to defend it. They know where they're going to go. I, I mean, I don't want to play like psychologists, but there's a lot on the lines, the commander and chief's trophy, a lot of pride between these three teams, Air Force, Army, and Navy. And then, of course, obviously, the time. I mean, if there's no explosives, you're talking about, like, 10-minute drives. And if they don't score, mm-hmm. that's a quarter with no points, basically. So Heck, we'll take a field goal. Three 100%. points. Three points, even better. I mean, you're you're looking at definitely sub-10 possessions in this game. So um, I completely agree. Army, uh, Air Force, Navy, under 36 and a half. I'm going to go a complete opposite way, though. I'm going to take the South Carolina, Missouri over 60. I can give you, like, the one sentence – Handicap, and then I could give you like the reasons why, like with like some detail and stuff. But like headline: South Carolina allowed forty-one points to a Graham Mertz-led offense. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. That's that's, that's terrific handicapping. Then like support, like it's like an old school, like high school outline, like like what is it, like uh, thesis or whatever, like uh, intro, and then like supporting evidence, so, like <laughs> intro. Let up forty-one points to Graham Mertz. Supporting evidence. Scored 39 in that game, so that's pretty good. They put up like, but yeah. <laughs> <that guy's> offense <laughs> continues to cook is that their defense is so terrible. They're not going to play some Missouri team that has been absolutely cooking on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Luther Burden, who I just now calling League Burden, anchoring this wide receiver attack. He's going to cook against South Carolina at home nonetheless. So I think that maybe concerns of Mizzou being on their eighth straight game would be mitigated that they're at home. I mean – these are two teams, top 30 in EPA per pass, top 30 in success rate. I think there's going to be points everywhere in this game. You know, get me to 60 for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think South Carolina's defense huge concern, but like shout out Spencer Rattler for balling. Also, Missouri's defense, like it's kind of the opposite. We've always, you know, said that or in recent years under uh, Eli Drinkowitz, this has been a defensive-minded team who hasn't found their offensive identity. It's kind of been the opposite this year. Yeah. If you could pass – you can score on this Missouri team. Missouri 94th in EPA per pass on defense, 
Rush defense still solid, but South Carolina throws at a top 25 rate anyway. So I think that Rattler's going to be cooking. I think Cook and Burner are going to be cooking on the other side. I think fireworks for sure in Columbia on Saturday. So give me the Missouri-South Carolina over 60. Yeah, we're in lockstep on the favorite totals because if there wasn't a service academy under on the board, uh, this is what I would have taken. So we're we're in complete lockstep. Like, I, I think the craziest thing is looking at Missouri, I think coming into the year, like all the projections kind of had them being the same Missouri team that we've seen. Like we were actually Which, worried see, about this. I was I was one of those people who who thought that. I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, we all thought this, you know, the offense was going to – like we had big questions about the offense and we thought the defense was going to, you know, carry them to, you know, a bowl game if they were going to get there. And it turns out that, you know, they can put up 40, but they might let up 45. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. So let's move to another game where it looks like we're going to be in lockstep. Alabama, Tennessee, Bryant-Denny Stadium, rematch from last year's absolute thriller oh, yeah. where Tennessee wins, kind of announces their return to college football – elite level program uh they defeat alabama on a knuckleball field goal winning at neyland stadium change locations here we're in tuscaloosa on saturday tennessee i mean we spoke about alabama earlier so i don't want to talk too much about how we see this because i think if you're listening and watching this you understand where we're at here tennessee though one of the easier strength of schedules in the sec to date so far Mm -hmm. they've had their bye week already so we haven't really seen this team all that much and then we get him against Texas A&M last week. Cody, I know you were on AM. I ended up betting Tennessee. I was very stressed out the entire game. I did not enjoy my bet on Tennessee. <laughs> I know I won my bet, but it wasn't very fun. Anyway, Tennessee just one touchdown drive the entire game. They had a pump return uh, with some really good field position. That being said, I think the Tennessee offense has a ton of concerns with Joe Milton at court. Oh, yeah. They are PFF grade 96th. In passing offense this year against a pretty suspect strength of schedule. Uh, this game against Texas A&M against a leaky secondary that we just saw Jalen Milrow take the top off of. Uh, Joe Milton was not able to get anything going downfield. Again, there's no touch on that deep ball. They were able to run it pretty well. And I've been impressed with Tennessee rush defense. And honestly, I've been pretty impressed with Tennessee defense to an extent, given what they were last year. I, I do think, though, that they're going to run to a bit of a buzzsaw against Alabama where it, it feels like in a weird way, not that they run the same scheme and that like the tempo is the same or anything, but it feels like the two teams are actually very similar in terms of how they end up playing their games. Yeah. Not necessarily again. I'm not saying like formations because Tennessee likes to spread you out and go side to side and, you know, run tempo. But in reality, both teams are leaning on their run game, hoping to hit a few deep shots. And really, I mean, trying to play bully ball at the line of scrimmage on defense and try and shut you down. So it, these teams are actually a lot more alike than you would think on the surface when like you, you think about these teams in recent history. So I think it's going to make for a very physical, defensive-minded battle. To me, the difference in this game, I mean, we were just talking about before, Jay, to me it's going to be like one Jalen Milrow deep shot to flip the field or one Joe Milton turnover to set Alabama up with a short field, something like that that's going to kind of turn this game over, and that's going to be the difference in the game. I don't know if I trust Alabama to cover such a big spread, yeah. But I do lean towards uh, the Crimson Tide for sure. My favorite bet, though, is going to be on the under. I think that this is going to be an absolute rock fight. I mean, Tennessee, I just mentioned, one real touchdown drive and then a put, uh, pump return. And in reality, they had two short fields to get two field goals late. So they really didn't move the ball at will on the road. I don't trust Joe Milton. And, again, I don't see Alabama really looking to pop off here offensively. I think yeah. that they are going to look to hit a few deep shots against a Tennessee secondary that I think could still be had. 
Texas A&M was able to move, pick up some long third downs. I think Milrow will be able to hit a few deep shots. I mean, again, Milrow, 16 big-time t- big throws, zero turnover-worthy plays, 61% completion percentage on passive 20-plus yards. The average at the target on those throws, 36 yards. So oh, yeah. he's chucking it and finding the guy. I gave Jalil Milrow a lot of flack earlier. I was wrong. He's he's balling out. On the other end, though, Joe Milton deep passes. Eight of 35 for a 22% completion <laughs> percentage. Seven big-time throws to four turnover-worthy plays. Joe Milton can't move the ball down the field. I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain long drives and put points on the board. I think Alabama vice grip here. I like the under, and I, I don't know if I were to put a score on it, something like 27 to 10, 27, 13, something like that. 27 might even be on the higher end. So I think that we – so I'm also on the under. That is also my best play. We're in complete lockstep with that. I think – I shockingly, especially based off what we saw last year, but I think the defenses once again are the two best team or best units on this field on Saturday. But more importantly, like I think we or sorry, not more importantly, but I see the game playing out a little different. I think it's probably something in like the 21-17 range. I think Tennessee is able to keep this actually pretty close just okay. because I think Jalen Milrow is able to get those shots, but I actually have a little more faith in the Tennessee offensive line to be able to get some push and maybe like actually get the run game going against this Alabama defensive front than I do in Alabama's offensive line, which we talked about earlier, which I have legitimate concerns about. And I think they're warranted because of how poorly that unit has played. And so I think that we see Tennessee establish the run. I think that they mostly by being forced to take the ball out of Joe Milton's hands in terms of sustaining drives, creating like not even necessarily explosive plays, but just like keeping their defense off the field. They try to run the ball a little bit more and maybe they try to limit the number of shots they give Joe Milton to take. So I just think that they, you know, are able to keep it within two or within a score more or less, which the spreads at nine, nine and a half some places. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that's just too many points for this Alabama offense that, like we talked about earlier, is not putting together sustained drives. They're getting those chunk explosive plays, and maybe that burns you if you take the Tennessee side on this, but that's why I'm going with the under as my favorite play because I just think that the one thing I know for sure is that neither of these teams are going to have a ton of offensive success. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tennessee 19th in defensive success rate, Alabama number two in the entire country in defensive success rate, particularly if you want to look at the run game. Alabama sixth in defensive success rate, Tennessee 12th in defensive success rate. So if we think that this is going to be a ground and pound type game, you might, you know, it might be some headbanging going on there and uh, not a lot of chunk plays for either offense. So yeah. we're both in locks up there on the under. Let's talk about the other big game of the week. It's going to be Penn state, Ohio state. It's, it's weird to say, cause we're already at week eight, but we know nothing about Penn state. We know absolute no. squat about the Nittany Lions this year. We know they're pretty good, we think at least. We know that they have a lot of talent. We know that Drew Aller is a big yeah. arm and that, you know, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen are probably going to go pro. But we don't know a lot about this offense and what they're going to do. Drew Aller averaging six yards per pass attempt. He's thrown for over 300 yards just once this season, over 200 yards just three times this season. So Penn State has been lightly tested. Ohio State a little bit more battle tested. And um, we've spoken about the Buckeyes on this program quite a bit. They went to Notre Dame. They won big. They took care of business. Or they they won a big game, I should say. They won big against Purdue last week. A little banged up, I'll say. Travion Henderson didn't play last week. Mayan Williams didn't play last week. So they were starting true freshman running back, Dallin Hayden. Like Mecca Buka did not play against Purdue. So something to monitor about Ohio State. Ohio State about a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Total has been dropping like a rock 
all the way down now. What do we got? 46, I believe it is. What's the updated number? 40. I got to pull it up. Sorry. But I believe it's like 45 and a half, 46 as we're speaking on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, 46 and a half. I'm sorry. I saw DraftKings. So we don't know much about Penn State. We think we know a little bit more about Ohio State. Cody, how do you see this one playing out? So the one thing I think I do know about Penn State is that this is the best defense that Ohio State has played in the entire season. Oh, and sure. I, I think that Penn State is uniquely set up to kind of perform what we've seen Michigan in the game the past couple of years against Ohio State do in that when you play that physical brand of football, particularly in the trenches, in this Ohio State offensive line, which has not particularly been tested outside of maybe Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's pass rush isn't anything close to what the Nittany Lions have, at least talent-wise. And so I've got to go Penn State plus four and a half. I'm taking the points. I'm Frankly, I'm taking Penn State on the field. I think Penn State wins this game. But when it comes down to it, I just think that we have not seen Kyle McCord in a situation. Like, we've seen progression from Kyle McCord recently. And a lot of that progression has been, hey, I'm going to funnel like 40% of my throws to Marvin Harrison Jr. Pretty good strategy. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I, I think that works. I, I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's not the worst idea. I'm not, I'm not hating on that strategy at all. If you want to get your quarterback in a rhythm, maybe third of the best receiver in the country a bunch. But <laughs> uh, I think Penn State, like I said, unique matchup. They have a top – they have a potential first-round pick at corner who can match up with uh, Marvin Harrison at least somewhat better than we've seen anyone, any other singular player uh, on Ohio State's schedule to this point in Kalen King. And Kalen King hasn't graded out as well in coverage as he did last year, but also that's – a the competition that they faced hasn't necessarily required that. I think we see a big game from this Penn state defense. And I also think that when we're talking about the unknowns about the Penn state offense, I have a confidence that they're going to be able to run the ball. This is one of the best offensive lines in the country as well. Penn state is stout in the trenches. And we've seen that despite how talented this Ohio state defensive front is, they've been talented in the past and teams like Michigan have been able to push them around in the trenches, running the ball. And I think we see Penn State able to do that, especially with the Katron Allen, Allen and Singleton, the ability to keep those running backs fresh. We are not just running, you know, an Audric Estime from the Notre Dame game. You're not just running him into the ground. It's where he gets banged up and tired. So I think they're able to control that. But I also think they've been playing possum a little bit. I think that Drew Alar has that deep passing game in it. They tried to flash a little bit of it. Um, they tried to flash a little bit of it last week against UMass because it's UMass, but it was also raining and really ugly and not exactly the uh, best game to try deep passing in. And so they quickly abandoned it and went back to the short throws. So I think that Drew Alar is able to take the top off of this defense. I still am a little dubious of this Ohio State secondary overall, and I just think Ohio State has more advantages when you look on paper in this game. Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about this game. I, I thought I'd like Penn State a lot more when we got to this game. And the more I think about it and the more I dug into this game, I don't know. I wish I saw Penn State play like any team with a pulse, just any team. Didn't have to be a good, like that good of a team, but like just a team that like within three touchdowns could hang with this team. Like I just, I'm a little nervous. And listen, maybe James Franklin. I don't want to give him too much credit because I'm not a huge James Franklin fan, but maybe this has been like such a rope-a-dope and like such a we're not going to show a single thing until we absolutely need to. That would be now. 
I mean, they played Illinois. Drew Aller didn't look so great. You know, they won, but I believe they forced like four turnovers in that game. I just, I'm struggling to see Penn State because to me, Penn State might be, they're better on defense, but their offense might be a lot of uh, Notre dame where Penn State's receivers can't win on the outside. And Ohio State trained is on the rush defense. They're very, very capable of stopping the run, even with Singleton Allen. And you're at home. I mean, listen, Drew Allen's completing 75% of his passes, but most of them are coming on throws of less than 10 yards. They're all checkdowns. There's no deep shots whatsoever. Drew Aller this year, where's this number? Um, where is it? I believe he only has one big-time throw this entire season, which That's is crazy. ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's zero downfield shots whatsoever. So again, can he do it? He has a big arm. He's 6'5 quarterback. Big arm I've seen from last year when he stepped in for Sean Clifford. But is it going to come today or on Saturday when they play Ohio State? Because if you think about it, why did Ohio State lose to Michigan last year? It's because they didn't respect J.J. McCarthy to take the top off the defense and play action deep shots. And Ohio State sold out to stop the run. And J.J. McCarthy went to Ohio Stadium and hit those deep shots, and Ohio, and Ohio State ended up getting smoked. I'd like to think Jim Knowles and this Buckeyes defense has learned a little bit from that, and they're not going to test another talented young quarterback to make those plays. I'm just a little concerned that we haven't even seen Aller try these throws. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just – I'm a little concerned and wary about the Penn State side. That being said – you're right about Penn State's defense. They're absolutely fantastic. I don't think Ohio State's offensive line has been that great. The run game hasn't been so consistent. They're outside the top 100 in success rate this year. Not to mention they're starting two running backs. They're now banged up. So I think Penn State did. Trainum went out too last week. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. He took a big shot uh, concussion, yeah. I think, or yeah. looked like a concussion. <laughs> right. I, I, I think I think Penn State's able to kind of pin their ears back and put some pressure on Kyle McCord. When Kyle McCord has been under pressure, let me pull this up here real quick. Corner Pro Football Focus. Kyle McCord is completing 70% of his passes for 1,500 yards with a 10 to 1 touchdown interception ratio when he's kept clean. No pressure. So when he's got time, when he can go through his reads, he's going to find his guys downfield. That's great. You got to get pressure on because when that happens on 26% of the time, so one in four dropbacks, he's getting pressured, putting only 35% of his passage and averaging less than three yards per pass attempt. So if you're able to get to Kyle McCord, you could really make this game messy because Ohio State has not been able to establish the run this this year. So that's why my best bet is on the under. I can't trust either offense. I know that this total is now dropping. We are – I mean, wait. I like the under this game. I like the first half under 23 and a half. I switched my bet uh, really quickly because this does play out similarly to the Notre Dame-Ohio State game where neither coach really wants to reveal much. A lot of really failed – Long sustaining drives, no deep shots early. And then in the second half, things pick up. You get Travion Henderson loose for a big run. Nick Singleton rips one off on a screen pass, maybe for Penn State. I the more I've thought about this game, because now the total's dropping so much, I think I need to pivot to the first half under. This got me home in the Notre Dame Ohio State game. I'm going to go back to it because I do think that there's a lot of similarities between how Penn State wants to play and how Notre Dame played against Ohio State. So I think. You could see something similar like that. Honestly, the more I've thought about this game, I'm not going to have a bet on the side. I kind of think Ohio State's going to win and probably cover. I just, I don't know. The more I think about Penn State, the more I'm a little concerned. But I'm not betting on that. First half under, 23 and a half best bet. I honestly like the full game under as well. 
I I love the first half underplay actually more than the full game. If I'm being I, honest, yeah. With you. Now that we've dropped because it opened at forty, I think it opened at like forty nine and a half. We're now down to forty five and a half. I we need a pivot here. Let's avoid some late game shenanigans. Let's just thirty minute bet. No, a hundred percent. But I I like that. But at the same time, one thing that you said stuck out to me. You said that Penn State wants to play this game like Notre Dame. How'd that Notre Dame game end? With a let's last hope, second. Let's hope, James, let's hope James Franklin puts the right amount of players on the field. <laughs> but more importantly, how'd they get in that position? It was a deep shot to Mecca Ibuka right at the end of the game. And then, a, if I can remember correctly, correct? Yes. Yeah. Down so it got, one, yeah. Yeah. It got him down to the one. And then they punched it in basically as time expired with 10 men on the Notre Dame defense. They also only won by four points, which would cover for Penn State in this game. Mm-hmm. And I think Penn State is a I think Penn State is a more talented team than Notre Dame. I think they have more ways to beat you than Notre Dame on That's both right. sides of the ball. And so I think that if you're looking at this, like Penn State is going to play this game. And I understand it's not in South Bend or not in Happy Valley. It's in Columbus. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think if you're looking at this as Penn State is going to try to enforce a similar style of game that Notre Dame did, they are better equipped to do that. And, and Ohio State showed that they were susceptible to that. There was every world where they could have lost that game to Notre Dame, who, you know, is, like I said, is not as talented, not as equipped to attack Ohio State in some of the ways that Penn State is. So I just – that's why I'm on the Penn State side of this. I understand that Penn State is unproven, but like I always say, you know, it's only unproven until you prove it. <laughs> We'll see. I mean, this is this is a biggie, though. This is uh, we'll see. A real, I, I'm excited to learn more about Penn State. Whether they are legit, they're not legit. Again, I I don't have a bet on the side. I, I mean, preseason, you know, I was very high on this Penn State, but now that we're yeah. here, we're getting a little cold feet. But we'll see. Um, let's move on though. Two staple segments before we wrap up. Upset picks coming off a winner myself here. Going to try and make it two in a row. Cody, where are you going for your upset pick this week? It's kind of a Tough sledding looking for like some, you know, you know, I always like to go for like some real like chaotic ones. Like I, I usually shoot for like the shoot for the stars on these, but like it's it's tough sledding this week. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, Pitt Louisville game here for you to really dig through. <laughs> but uh, I like Oklahoma State going on the road to Morgantown and playing West Virginia this week. Uh, yeah. They're plus three and a half plus one forty five on the money line. Uh, honestly, these are two teams that are like trending in the opposite direction. West Virginia seemed early in the season like they might be way better than we expected, even after a season opening loss to Penn State. And people were like, oh, Neil Brown might have saved his job. And he probably has still. Like, they're just yeah. based on record alone. But on the flip side of that, we watched the end of Oklahoma State's non-conference and with them getting blown out by South Alabama, who, despite what I said early in the season, might just be a middling group of five team. Like, they're not anything particularly special to Jaguars. And uh, Oklahoma State lost to them 33-7. to but since then, Mike Gundy has stopped playing his three QB Monty uh, in with his offense, and he has Alabama, or not Alabama, Alan Bowman. God, that was a tongue twister. Uh, Al, Alan Bowman now is the starter, and Bowman's not anything special. But I think it's really given this offense more consistency and more more of an identity with Bowman there. And the part of that identity is the running back, uh, Ollie Gordon, the second he's on an absolute heater right now, three straight, hundred yard rushing games, including 280 total yards last week when they upset Kansas. I think Oklahoma state's offense is being underrated because of what they showed earlier in the year when the numbers aren't accounting for the fact that 
Mike Gundy was doing some Jedi mind tricks with his quarterback that I still don't quite understand and know why it was happening, but it was happening. But now that they've solidified who they are offensively, I think this offense is basically capable of scoring on anyone, especially like a pretty aggressively mediocre West Virginia defense. On the flip side of that, West Virginia's offense has just kind of been nothing special. And I think this is probably going to be end up like a high scoring affair, but I think Oklahoma State's offense has been clicking on enough cylinders to keep this within a field goal. And most likely, I think that they go on the road and get the upset. I agree. Since the bye, this Oklahoma State team has really turned it on. It seems like, you know, making – I they went to Bowman before the bye against Iowa State. First game, full start. Didn't work out. But since the bye, they've really, I think, turned on something – Iowa State also looks like they might be much better than we thought earlier in the year yeah. as well. They're another team that's trending up. So This is an Oklahoma State team that I don't know if the market is really getting on. I think on this show I said Oklahoma State against uh, Kansas State. Mm-hmm. And then last week they went against a home dog against Kansas. I, I like them again here. I, I think uh, West Virginia, they, are, they were a frisky underdog. They got a Texas Tech team when Tyler Shuck was uh, – broke his leg, I think it was, or a serious injury. He goes yeah. down more than hurts his shoulder, so they're able to escape that one. They beat TCU, hold them, hold them out uh, on a missed field goal at the end of regulation. Then Houston kind of gets them back with a Hail Mary and stuff. But like maybe yeah. it's kind of like the air out of the balloon type. So I like Oklahoma State as well in this one. I think they could win. I think this team is trending in the right direction where West Bob may have like peaked already. Mine, yeah. uh, the boys from Boca, Florida Atlantic, plus oh, three baby. and a half against UTSA FAU is the better team they played a very dangerous and tough non-conference schedule that featured what looks like the favorite in the MAC Ohio Illinois who's a Big Ten team and Clemson and then they played Monmouth but those three games alone tough non-conference they lose Casey Thompson to a knee injury they go into their bye week they go to the veteran backup from Central Michigan Daniel Richardson absolutely cooked last week they scored 56 at South Florida last week and a UTSA team that I have, I do not like whatsoever. They yeah. are outside the top 100 in coverage grade, outside the top 100 in tackling. FAU, 14th in the country per PFF in tackling. So I think they're going to limit explosive plays. UTSA, they beat UAB, my Dilfer boys, by 21 last week. Outgained in the game. Yeah. How about a fraudulent box score? Going to FAU, a team trending up. I really like them here. I think they're going to win and get themselves into the AAC title race. Um, so give me the Owls, woo, plus three and a half, plus 145 on the money line. You know, college basketball season is right around the corner. And, you know, FAU is a top 10 team in the country in college basketball season. So, yeah, I you know you got to love the pick. But, no, I, I 100% agree with you. This is an FAU team that, frankly, I didn't really know what to make of it. And it's one of those instances where I think losing Casey Thompson might actually have been a blessing in disguise because we know what yes. Casey Thompson is and it's not anything particularly special now they have someone uh in richardson who is just he's not going to be an nfl prospect or anything but he knows how to run a functional offense and he's done it for a very long time and like against this utsa defense like you said they they struggle in coverage i mean i'm sure you had eyes on your dilfer boys and uab but like they were throwing the ball pretty easily on them it was just a couple costly mistakes and like Basically luck, the reason that UTSA won that game by 21. I think FAU is a better team than UAB on top of that. And when they're already when UAB's already outgaining uh UTSA, I think this is I think they're a very live dog. Yeah, I, I think this number's kind of crazy. Uh primetime game. Bunch of bunch of games in the late slate uh that mm-hmm. I think are gonna be super intriguing. We got uh Clemson traveling down to uh Miami to play the Hurricanes. We got 
Duke FSU, which is going to be my pick. We got Michigan trying to continue to just destroy teams going to mm-hmm. East Lansing to take on their rival Michigan State. Uh, what else on the night slate? We got USC Utah, yeah. the game of Pac-12 implications. So a lot going on the night slate. Cody, where are you looking as your favorite bet? Uh, I'm taking Michigan to keep beating the absolute uh, crap yeah. out of everyone they play. Yeah, minus 24 and a half at Michigan State. Uh, the only reason I could potentially think of why Michigan doesn't cover this number is if Harbaugh just like calls off the dogs. But given what we've seen between these two teams in the past couple of years, uh, particularly the tunnel fight last year, there's a lot more bad blood in this rivalry than there has been recently or in years past. And not that there's ever good, you know, not bad blood between these two. Mm. And so I think Harbaugh tries to pour it on them. And I don't think Michigan State has really any answer for that. Michigan State is one of the worst offenses in the country. And Caden Hauser, they replaced Noah Kim and Caden Hauser at quarterback. And I think it's a little bit fool's gold that people might be buying into Michigan State, like maybe upticking a little bit offensively because mm-hmm. they uh, put up 24 against Rutgers last week. Ten of those points came on short fields, and seven were off a defensive score. So that means he only actually led one full touchdown drive, which was and the game. And they blew of- like a three-possession lead in the fourth quarter. Exactly. Yeah, and, and their one touchdown on a full sustained drive was the opening possession of the game. So when they were on script, they were able to do it. Other than that, they did not have a drive that went over 50 yards. Yeah. So, like, this offense is just not capable. And now you're going up against the best defense that they played in Michigan, perhaps one of the best defenses in the country. I just don't – like – if Michigan State got shut out in this game, it would not surprise me. And Michigan State's defense is far better than their offense, but that's such a low bar that I think Michigan is just kind of still going to be able to do whatever they want. They may not score on every possession, but I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be able to cook against them. I think Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards are going to be able to run the ball pretty consistently against them. I just don't see how this isn't a four-score game. I, I completely agree. I, I'm probably going to bet this one myself. Um, I I almost think it's the other way. I think Michigan State might come out like kitchen sink style and try and, uh, you know, a few trick plays early, similar to what Indiana tried last week. They only scored on a double pass. Um, or like <laughs> and then lost 52 game. to 7. <laughs> yeah, like rivalry game. Maybe Michigan State, you get like a big effort early, and then Michigan just kind of wears them down, and they end up pulling away. So I like Michigan there. My pick, you know, Duke-Florida State under 49. Maybe Riley Leonard plays I'm a little skeptical that he's going to play. This would be the three-week mark of a high ankle sprain, so this is like the beginning of when he'd come back. I just – this is a guy with NFL possibilities. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's going to come back. Also, like his best trait is that he can run. Right. He's not 100%. I really – I still think Duke's going to struggle either way. You know, on the other side, Henry Bieland, the fourth, he started last week. Duke beat North Carolina State. He also only completed four passes in the game. Two for touchdowns, though. Yeah, so Duke didn't have to do much through the air. This is obviously now going on the road night game, Tallahassee. I think good spot for FSU to really kind of flex a little bit. That being said, Duke as underdogs in their two games so far this year against Clemson and Notre Dame. I know that those two are very different than Florida State, especially in the pass catching department. But Duke has tried to slow games down. Keep the defense in front, keep the offense in front of you, limit the big shots, try and make the team go down the field. Duke, one of the best explosive pass defenses in the entire country, top 10. I think FSU is going to win. I think FSU is going to cover. I think Duke's really going to struggle to move the ball. I think Duke can maybe make the scoreline look a little bit respectable, though, with their defense. I think that this can maybe be something in the neighborhood of like 34-10, something like that, where FSU gets theirs in. We still know Jordan Travis is all that healthy with a shoulder. I don't know if FSU is in the market to really run up a score here on Duke, a team that 
as a defense has done a fantastic job of limiting explosive plays mm-hmm. and not getting into shootouts. I know FSU is a different challenge, but still though, with what I think will be a backup quarterback, I think they're really going to struggle to move the ball. And this game is going to quickly turtle into kind of like running clock style. Like let's get, just get out of here. I, I think that's a great read on this game, especially with Travis being less than hundred percent. Like I can see a world where FSU kind of unloads the chamber early and builds a big lead and then just sits on it because I don't like whether I think the I think I saw this morning that Elko is saying that uh Riley Leonard is going to play, but I I, I the the tweet that was sent out was a little misleading because I read the article. He didn't say he was gonna play, he said he's just listed his day to day and he's like working uh, his way back towards practice. See, maybe all I saw was played, the tweet. Thank you for reading. Maybe maybe he plays, but I I struggle to see him being close to hundred percent. And if he's oh, not 100%, yeah. I think that Duke's in even bigger trouble because if you can't run, this FSU team is just going to chase him down and he's probably going to get hurt again. I I lean towards him not playing because Duke still has a lot on the line going forward this year. They only have one loss, not an ACC loss. So they could still make the ACC championship game. Let me just pull up their schedule really quick while I fill a buster. While you're, while you're pulling that up, I mean, NC State had a higher success rate offensively last last week than Duke, like, in that game. And Duke was lucky to win it with their backup quarterback. Like, their offense was not good. Like, it was quite bad. They just hit a couple of explosive plays to really, like, get them ahead of the Wolfpack. So, now you're up against the Florida State team that we've had questions about their defense, but just ostensibly they're more talented than what we saw against NC state. Like NC state has been a very middling team this year. So yeah, I think under is definitely the right play at Louisville next week, wake at UNC at Virginia Pitt. So a lot's on the line for Duke, even with a loss here, I just don't think Riley Leonard gets rushed back. I think that they're much more focused on that at Louisville game as a, a big yeah. one. Let's close out the show with a sickos pick. I'm a big 10 guy and we're doing two sick picks in the Big Ten, because that's basically what this conference outside of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan is quickly becoming. It is becoming basically yeah. a glorified max. So, Cody, sicko's pick. Where are you going? Uh, I found the most sicko number on the board, obviously. Uh, Minnesota, Iowa, under 32 and a half. So, here's a fun little fact. Uh, this is the third lowest total in college football history. Uh, shout out to uh, your friend and mine and everyone's Twitter friend, Thor Nystrom, for that little fact. Um he pointed that out, but in case you're curious, the other two lowest totals in college football history were also Iowa games, and they were last year. It was the Music City Bowl against Kentucky, which closed at 32, and then last year's game against Minnesota, which closed at 31 and a half. So we're looking at a historically low total, but the thing that Thor pointed out, and the reason I'm on this, is both of those games went under pretty comfortably. Uh, against Kentucky, it was 21 nothing Iowa. And then against uh, Minnesota, it was 13-10, to 10, I believe. So you're looking at an Iowa offense that is 132nd in the country in EPA offensively. Like, they are the yeah. worst Power 5 offense by a mile. Deacon Hill has not thrown a spiral, spiral in his life, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> he is horrendous at throwing the football. Uh, love watching him play. He's a visual marvel, but in terms of him actually being a good quarterback, it's just not there. Minnesota's defense statistically does not grade out that well, but I don't think it matters against this Iowa offense. They are so hapless that I think you could put me and you out there on the Minnesota defense, and we might come up with some stops. <laughs> on the flip side of that, though, Iowa's defense, I think, has taken a step down from what we've seen from Phil Parker's units in, re- in years past, but they're still a very upper echelon unit. And on top of that, you look at this Minnesota offense – 
it's been dead in the water since the start of the season, man. Whenever they play a defense with a pulse, Calic Manis, the Greek the Greek rifle, just does not have it. He's going to make mistakes. But one thing that worries me about the under is him making a mistake in a pick six variety yeah. of a mistake. But even then, I don't think the Iowa offense is going to do enough in this game to where that's actually going to matter. We took an I took an Iowa under in the 30s earlier in the season on the show, and you said your picks. You said pick six was the concern there, and it, they threw a pick six, and it still hit. Yeah, it did so not matter. Uh, so Cyhawk game. Yeah, that's exactly what it was the Cyhawk game, and I think we're looking at the exact same situation. I think both these offenses are so bad that even if we get a defensive score, a defensive turnover, I don't think there's enough offensive production for it to matter. Yeah. Uh, I think Minnesota wins this game. Uh, yeah, I think they're gonna win. I think Oz, I think Minnesota's a better team off the bye. Also, yeah, I mean, can, can like PJ Fleck get through to Calix Manis and say, "Hey, like, let's like be careful here." Like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I can't stop you from taking the under there. Uh, my sickos pick another Big Ten one. You mean Northwestern plus eleven and a half against Nebraska? Can't tell you why Nebraska is going <laughs> to win with margin. I, I I can't. They are a pseudo service academy. They're running at a top ten rate. They are playing at a bottom ten rate in terms of plays per minute. It's literally a service academy. Northwestern, right around the national average in terms of rushing success rate. I mean, I'm not going to say Northwestern's any good, but lose by eleven or less. Like, where is Nebraska getting margin in this game? Also, like. Yeah. Just look at some of the relevant point spreads. Like they just closed a, a road dog at Illinois. I know they won, but we just, we called that game one of the ugliest football games of all time. I had Nebraska in that game. It was disgusting. Now, it, it's similar to why I like Minnesota against Iowa. When these bad teams go from being like underdogs with low totals to favorites with low totals, that's a huge change in expectation. And the team that you think could be like sticky and running, stay close, they're now expected to like pull ahead and win by a few scores playing really slow, lacking explosive plays, no passing game. Like, I don't know. I think Northwestern, both teams are coming out of the bye, so that's that's fair. But, like, we know what Nebraska is. There's no, like, tricks here. It's either they're going to go to Jeff yeah. Sims, you're going to turn it over, or it's going to be Harburg, who's basically just a running a running back playing quarterback. So, I like Northwestern plus 11 and a half. And upset yeah, I think, surprise me here either. I, think, no, I, I trust Matt Rule to navigate a win, but, like, not by margin. Like, 20 to 10. Yeah. Seven. That's all you need. Yeah. Like I, I think ugly, ugly game. I mean, last week, you know, I said, uh, why is Colorado a double digit favorite against anyone? I'm going to reiterate that. Why is Nebraska a double digit favorite against anyone? It does not make sense. We're at the point of the year where, well, you just said like some teams just can't be laying double digits. They just can't. They're not built to win by margin. They're just not, (laughs) especially in-conference play with familiar opponents. Some of these teams you just can't trust to win with margin. We have enough of a data set now. So Yeah, and I mean, on pace alone, like regardless of what you think about the talent on Nebraska's offense, which, you know, not particularly high on, but (laughs) like – just on pace alone, both of these teams are going to, you know, bleed the clock out. They're going to run the ball a ton. And like asking a team to win by two touchdowns in that style of game when – there's not a noticeable talent advantage that I can see, at least on paper. I just don't – like, I think you're on absolutely the right side. This number is way too inflated. 100%. You want to recap and get out of here? Let's do it. All right, what do you got? All right, so starting off with the favorite total, I have Air Force Navy under 36.5. Alabama-Tennessee game, 
I am under 49, as are you. Uh, then Penn State, Ohio State, give me the Nittany Lions plus four and a half. Uh, also like them on the field. Give me a little bit of the sprinkle on the money line there. Uh, primetime game. I'm going Michigan minus 24 and a half against Michigan State. Just think the Wolverines blow the doors off of the Spartans. Uh, upset pick, I've got the Pokes. Oklahoma State plus three and a half, plus 145 on the money line at West Virginia. Sicko's pick, give me no points, no offense. Minnesota, Iowa under 32 and a half. Love it. Uh, for me, I bet South Carolina, Missouri over 60. Like Cody said, the Alabama, Tennessee under 49. I think that's our first like shared bet. Yeah. See how that goes. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State, first half under 23 and a half. Duke, Florida State, under 49. Took Florida Atlantic, plus three and a half and plus 145 on the money line. Hoo hoo. And uh, Northwestern, plus 11 and a half against Nebraska. There are picks. If you like those picks and you want to bet any of them, make sure you do it at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code STB. That would make you eligible to bet just $5, get $200 in bonus bets, and a no sweat single game parlay every day again this offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states please remember to always gamble responsibly cody have a responsible weekend i will see you next wednesday for our week eight recap week nine betting preview yes sir go tar heels Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.